Good, is it afternoon? Yes. It is. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to... It is Performance Anxiety. Come oh, in. Right. Sit yes. down. More Your fans. timing is perfect. Uh, good afternoon. Welcome to this room in which we are doing Performance Anxiety Live. I mean, talk about a self-sabotaging title for a session. <laughs> uh, it's my, I, I'm really actually thrilled and honoured and rather touched to have been invited to be part of this session because... Uh, Alex and Maren don't really need anyone else, but they, they asked me to be part of it. So I'm rather excited because I'm an avid listener to the Performance Anxiety podcast. I'm sure you all are as well. If you're not, you should be. So what we're going to do is I will basically chair a little thing where I interview them about the podcast, and then they will record an edition of the podcast live in this room. And then if we have any time at the end, if you have any thoughts and questions, you can chip in. But we do only have 41 minutes now, so... Don't be offended if 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 we don't, frankly. So, uh, I am, as I said, I'm Tamandra Harkness. If any of you don't know me, I'm a lapsed comedian, a broadcaster, a writer, this, that and the other, really. Come in, welcome, sit down. And uh, let me introduce you to Maren Thorne, academic and researcher, and Alex Dale, writer and designer, and together they are Performance Anxiety. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Danke, danke. <laughs> this is, I'm sorry, I'm going to conduct this only in English for the benefit of the handful of people in the room who don't speak fluent German like what we do. Uh, but so, I mean, the real question I kind of is, is why? And by why, I don't mean why make a podcast. I mean, why, why this particular podcast? And why choose performance? Because I think even people like me who long ago studied film and theatre, when you think about the things that are interesting about film, theatre, television and so on, performance isn't necessarily the thing that most springs to mind. It's sometimes seen as quite a technical aspect of film, theatre, culture in general. So why did you choose to focus on that? I'll have a stab at answering that first. So the, the flippant answer is I was very sick of hearing Maren complain about the quality of discussion around um, performance, uh, particular relating to film, theatre, comedy, television, the things that we like to cover. Um, so every time there was... Um, yes, I'm banging the table. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, these are the things that we would edit this out. It's this like is why <laughs> you're seeing how the sausage is made now, right? It's like a live workshop. It yeah. is. Making audio. Carry so on. to return to my point, um, the point of the exercise was uh, there's definitely a kind of... Uh, you can see a culture war around, I think, performance... And we got very frustrated with the quality of the discussion around it, particularly from both sides. They seemed very at loggerheads, but also very shallow and not particularly meaningful and not really advancing the debate. And we wanted to uh, put the art back at the center of those discussions and discover what the performances actually meant with the goal of trying to then figure out if there are political points or cultural points to be made around those things, where they would fit into that discussion. Would you yeah. agree? Yes, so I was very keen on sort of bringing the idea of performance into a kind of new light because I think, you know, we all noticed that since the 1960s we had the cultural turn and postmodernists did away with modernism, you know, the idea of the subject, the death of the subject, as James Hartfields talks about, the idea of human beings, uh, you know, having agency, taking up their own lives, and what postmodernists said, oh no, it's far too dangerous. We would just want to talk about identities and narratives and 
you know, everybody just living alongside one another. So we just explore these kind of narratives and identities. And the politics of postmodernism is performance. So identities have to be performed, as Judith Butler says, you know, agenda is being performed. Uh, Bell Hooks talks about uh, how race intersects with gender here and is being performed. So the contemporary political mode is shaped by the concept of performance. So it has changed the meaning of performance from a kind of presentation for others into what we do every day and how we make ourselves as human beings. So would you say then that talking about performance in film, theatre, comedy, television is a way of talking about those much, much wider ways of thinking about performance as a, a social mode? Is that putting it too strongly? I think so, yeah. But I think what happens is they get collapsed in a very unhelpful way. And we see our uh, task is to try and unpick a lot of that discussion, I guess, or to try and make sense of when it's an artistic mode of performance and when it's a social mode of performance. Um, I think a lot of discussions, you can see a lot of very heated discussions around who gets to play what because of the nature of identity. You know, uh, should Jewish people play non-Jewish people? Uh, it's just one example. But there's a, every time there's these discussions, who should play James Bond? Should it be a white man? Uh, who's allowed to play Hermione Granger? It, they get ridiculous. But they, they contain very heated and very contested, I think, um, ideas and, uh, yeah, political... Uh, contestations. That's my good. agent. <laughs> <laughs> Your agent's saying, talk more about that. Yeah. So, so we seem to be talking about something that's quite distinct from, if you like, performance as a technical discipline for performers, for actors. Yeah. Is, is there a difference between acting and performing? Well, there used to be. <laughs> yes, yeah. and I think to, for our uh, aims and purposes, there still is. We consider acting basically the technical skills that performers have, that you learn over time under duress in acting school. <laughs> and, but these are actual skills that you know, performers should bring to a performance. However, what I want to also talk about is that the philosophical concept of performance, of postmodernism, is not wrong in itself because they say we need performance to perform our identities because performance is something that is created through the meaning of being in the social world. I would add to that. I think there's, a, there's also an artistic side to this as well. So um, the difference between, <coughs> excuse me, the difference between performance and acting is very important to us and it's one that we stress a lot. Because uh, my favorite example of this, I'm going to lower the tone, as is my habit on this podcast, um, is people like Emma Thompson, right? They say she's a brilliant actress. Because in Love Actually, when she discovers her husband is cheating on her, she cries. And it's such a beautiful scene, and she's an amazing actress. Uh, and we would say, no, that's not acting. That's performance. And the reason that that is performance is because it's an assemblage. Emma Thompson, all she's acted there is ability to cry, which any first-year drama student should be able to do, right? They should be able to walk into a room and cry. Or but just use glycerin. Or, or use glycerin, right? Yeah, we don't know. Uh, but the point of that performance is that it's the moment in that film where the script, the music, all the other performances have created a particular piece of meaning that is actually a, an interesting and touching piece of storytelling. So this is always the distinction we're trying to make between performance and acting. Acting is a skill, 
that you, you can learn or unlearn, but performance is definitely an assemblage of meaning that's put together, editing, music, costumes, scripts, um, the meaning of a star, all of those things go together. So how does that much wider definition of performance relate to what you were saying about all of us, in some sense, performing ourselves in real life as, as the way we are in the world and the way we create ourselves in the world? Are we also all walking assemblages of meaning? <laughs> I think, you could take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's beautifully put because, you know, we do that. You know, there is some, the, the kernel of truth in this kind of uh, Judith Butler writings that we do assemble ourselves in the morning to present us to other people. You know, we do play roles with our friends, with our family. We do have status in life that other people respond to and see and read. So we're being read by other people in the same way. So, there is so there's a lot of truth to this, yeah? But then we have to also take account that, you know, that we can, can, can also use this to come back to the subject. We can use this to actually be an active subject and change ourselves. We can do stuff with ourselves. We can, um, yeah, we can, we can create meaning through performances. This is what artists do. They are aware of what things mean and what people mean and create these uh, yeah, new artistic ideas. I think what we wanted to do as well was, we are, I think we do assemble ourselves in that way. Um, but I think where it gets complicated, and it's another reason why we wanted to start this podcast, was because um, that's where the kind of the argumentation is, the arguments and the contestation is around um, how people make themselves. So the idea of representation becomes very important, on screen, off screen. Uh, how are you made through cultural artifacts? Do you need to be seen? This, you, you can recognize these discussions all of the time. You see them going on. So we really wanted to understand how um, people are made uh, and also the difference between that and how culture is made. Uh, is that making sense? Yeah. So let's talk us through how you go about making an episode. What's <laughs> when you're going like, right, going to make another episode. What's the kind of process? Where do you start? Um, well, we, we call ourselves, uh, we, say, we describe ourselves as the podcast that uh, describes what everyone's talking about, and that's usually the case. There's usually something in the air. Uh, so we always try and pick up on whatever's out there, uh, and it's usually some boneheaded argument about something. But there's, <laughs> there's usually, as we are fond of saying, there's usually a kernel of truth in this, this dispute, something that really needs to be interrogated properly. Um, and it's usually to do with, uh, yeah, casting or storytelling and that kind of thing. Yes. Um, and we, we try and um, we go from there, basically. Yeah, the, because the debates, although both sides are probably wrong, because, you know, yeah, it seems <laughs> yeah, to be... Well, yeah. well, the culture wars are basically about two different sides debating about who can perform what, right? Or, or about performance, anyway. And it seems to be, me, for me, the most central argument in the whole kind of cultural moment we're in about you know, these debates about who can represent human beings in what way and what, how does me, is meaning created around becoming? And this is where performance comes into its own. This is the only place where I think we can really, really examine these things in a fun uh, way that is also interesting and uh, yeah, that everybody can join in because we're all part of, of the kind of culture. We all watch, like to go to the cinema and watch things and have 
uh, meaning created in front of us. Yeah, our goal is always to try. I think um, what Marin is talking about is is that kind of. There's definitely always. I hate the word woke, but we recognize it for what it is. There is always a woke side to the argument and then a kind of anti-woke <laughs> side to the argument, right? And we, we're always dissatisfied with both of those. So our, our goal is always to try and find the correct, uh, what we think is the artistic route through this. First of all, I'm going to use another terrible word. We want to recenter the art, right? <laughs> we want to put the art back in it and appreciate the art first, I think. And I think that we want to do this because by focusing on the art, we can actually focus on the things that reveal new meaning to us through yes, performance. exactly. This is where new ideas come about and we can examine new ideas through the art. And if, you, if, both, sides are, don't, if both sides of the argument don't make artistic evaluations and arguments, they're not going to get us there. I mean, a good example would be um, one, one, ad, one um, argument that we bumped up against a lot that used to drive us nuts was... Um, this kind of, well, it's called acting and anyone can play anything. And um, it always really frustrated us because that's just not true, right? It depends entirely on the genre of the thing that's being made uh, and the rules of that genre. So uh, shitty improv over a pub, yeah, anyone can play anything in that context, <laughs> but who wants to watch that, right? A Hollywood blockbuster, <laughs> stars have meaning, they mean real things, and they come uh, loaded with baggage. So it's not as simple as just saying anyone can play anything. So can James Corden play a gay person if he's not gay, well, he can because he reads gay on screen. And we need to be able to reckon with these yeah. realities, right? We need to get beyond this um, very shallow knee-jerk uh, reading of, of uh, what you can and can't show. Okay, so in, today we are going to, well, you are going to make an episode live in front of this audience. <laughs> God, sound a bit excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're good. You could get a job as a studio audience. I would definitely recommend all of you. <laughs> so, what are what what are you going to talk about? And then, actually, I'm going to I'm going to hand over. No, actually, I'm going to hand over now. I'm going to hand over to you. Let's all do right. it. Let's it's do your something. podcast. <coughs> oh, yeah. uh, do let, let, do the voice. Do the voice. down. Let's pretend we're in the studio. All right. Uh, so we're going live we're in five, four. <laughs> exciting, isn't it? Hello. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. <laughs> We analyze the film, television, theater, and comedy performances that everybody is talking about. I'm Alex Dale, and with me is my resident film expert, Dr. Maren Thun. On this, this episode, uh, there's a few th topics that we'd considered talking about. Uh, what we're going to talk about is Maestro, which is... <laughs> <laughs> it's your agent again. Yes, it is. All Don't right. touch Maestro. Yeah. <laughs> it's Bradley Cooper on the yes. phone saying, <laughs> Yeah, we... Um, <laughs> We considered, shall we talk about what we considered and then discarded? Yeah. Well, um, there's definitely something in the air. So what, is, what are people talking about? What are people talking about? Yeah, so definitely uh, the Jimmy Savile documentary, so, uh, whose name escapes me, honestly, because we weren't paying attention. The Jimmy Savile, because yes. I watched it. Steve and Coogan. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So is um, Steve Coogan's performance as Jimmy Savile, what's the story there? There's definitely heat around it, but yeah. we couldn't find anything interesting to say. No, because it's, it's not truth. about the performance that, yes. uh, that reveals anything. I think the debate was, in the end, about why is the BBC putting on a drama about Jimmy Savile that is in itself quite boring? So there was nothing there. There's nothing illuminating in this whole debate that yeah. we should talk about. I mean, I had some bitchy remarks about Steve Coogan, but uh, that would have not yeah. sustained an episode, I don't think. <laughs> But what we do want to talk about is, uh, yes, Maestro. This is a film written, directed, and co-written, um, directed, 
and starring Bradley Cooper. Probably did the catering as well. He probably like, did. Bradley Cooper project. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the re which is the story of Leonard Bernstein and his relationship with his wife, which will be coming to Netflix on the 20th of December. Now, the reason we wanted to talk about this, uh, and this is quite timely, is because it's to do with depiction, who can play what, and it, especially Bradley Cooper has um, portraying Leonard Bernstein, who is Jewish in real life. Bradley Cooper is not. Uh, and there was a certain heat uh, attached to this because when they started showing the trailers and the first pictures to do with this um, film, uh, it became clear that Bradley Cooper was wearing a prosthesis and he was wearing a prosthetic nose, uh, which uh, some people, I think, rightly suggested might have been insensitive. So the Hollywood Reporter TV critic, Daniel Feinberg, called it problematic, everyone's favorite word, and described it as ethnic cosplay, which uh, this is what we wanted to, <laughs> to talk about because we like walking on a tightrope. Uh, so uh, on the other hand, Leonard Bernstein's children defended his Coop, Bradley Cooper's choice, saying it uh, breaks our hearts to see any misrepresentations or misunderstandings of Bradley Cooper's efforts. It happens to be true that Leonard Bernstein had a nice big nose. Mm -hmm. Bradley chose to use makeup to amplify his resemblance and we're perfectly fine with that. So this is part of a, a number of discussions, I think, around who is allowed to play yeah. and who is appropriate to play Jewish people. So Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer played Oppenheimer, who was Jewish. Killian Murphy is not. Uh, and Helen Mirren is also, at the moment, playing Golda Meir. Um, again, she is not Jewish. Uh, both at attracting different responses. So what were our first kind of thoughts? Um, what I should also say, because this is a very special episode, before we get into that detail, this is a live episode from the Battle of Ideas, and we also have a guest. It's writer and broadcaster, Timandra Harkness. <laughs> first time <Hello>. guest. <laughs> so after that insanely long, rambling, open question, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm excellent, thank right. you. Right, let's get into it. Let's talk about Bradley Cooper's false nose. Should we be um, offended by Bradley Cooper's prosthetic nose? I mean, that is one of the brilliant questions. I think this is a whole debate that really illustrates how people get performance wrong. And it's one of these great films that gets performance absolutely wrong. So this is why we are attracted to this as a question. Yeah. So now... Why? Why is it wrong? <laughs> well, you can. Well, I don't know if you've ever have you seen any of the clips of Maestro or little snippets. It's only out in December. It is basically a, an, a very realist imagination of the images of um, what's his name? Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein. Yes. <laughs> Leonard, the Maestro. I had Maestro in my head. Um, so Leonard Bernstein. Uh, there's a lot of very fantastic images throughout the career of Leonard Bernstein because he's a dramatic person, he's very theatrical. He's charismatic. Charismatic. And so the film is basically an amalgamation of all these kind of great snippets of his life. The, the great visuals come to life through the personification by Bradley Cooper. Um, and he... You know, he's a great actor, you know. We no, love Bradley Cooper. We love we? Bradley Cooper. Yeah, nothing against Bradley Cooper. Uh, so the realism of this storyline um, has to have something that... So he's, the, the, the kind of likeness of Bradley Cooper 
is absolutely enhanced by the prosthetic nose. Yes. He looks quite a lot like Leonard Bernstein. I think that's especially true, mm. uh, old Leonard Bernstein, the old <laughs> prosthesis. I can see how this happens, right? They've painted mm. themselves into a corner to a degree because old Leonard Bernstein, they get very good because they've aged his whole face and that includes the nose. Um, but younger Leonard Bernstein, you can take the wrinkles away, but you can't take the nose well, away, unfortunately. Here's the thing. <laughs> yes. Bradley Cooper, we all know Bradley Cooper. He's a very famous Hollywood actor. Oh, you know, nine times Oscar nominee, never winner. Always the bridesmaid, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he comes with this kind of um, persona of, you know, handsome lead, but also prob problematic handsome lead. Yeah. You know, it's always a bit problematic. Think of the, the Hangover, right? Those are the movies yeah. that made him. So he's a shit. Yeah. <laughs> problematic handsome lead. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> but we also know his face, right? So he's not, he's not an unknown. Everybody knows what Bradley Cooper looks like. So if you put a false big nose on him, it is absolutely visible. It's a statement. It right? is a statement, right? So you cannot, he does, he's not just a nobody who, who could have got away with it, maybe. But we know what Bradley Cooper looks like, and so you do see the nose. And it is true that, you know, the anti-Semitic stereotype of people, you know, you know, painting big noses on people is a very, very anti-Semitic stereotype. So we have to live with this reality and the fact that the film makes us see this nose. It, it, it's not, you cannot unsee this, right? It's like in there. It's unavoidable, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it does matter, right? And, yeah. it's, and it's because of the film form, this realist film form. It's not an abstraction of Leonard Bernstein. It wants to be like Leonard Bernstein. It's a vanity project by Bradley Cooper. He, now, realism is one of those words that you like to use a oh, lot. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by realist in this particular instance? Why, why is that making this the problem? Well, the realism is, of course, the idea that we are witnessing the story of Leonard Bernstein. We're not being put, taken out of it. So the Hollywood realism is the Hollywood style. You know, you have ways of being in the story and nothing takes you out of it. And it's the story of Leonard Bernstein's life. So the earlier scenes are in black and white, like the images that you know. And the so the filmic quality always changes by decade in the decade that they're filming him in. So mm -hmm. the 60s bits look like the 60s, the 70s bit look like the 70s. Sounds dead clever. <laughs> it's, but, it, but it enhances the realism and not takes it away. Sort of, you know, Bazin, it was very, very clear. He was a film theorist. Bazin, from, thank you, yes. <laughs> from the 1950s. And he talked about how realism works and that it brings you into the story. It's not just, you know, cinema verite where you just try and record reality. It's the feeling that it evokes that you're in the story, that nothing takes you out of it. And... Here, the film tries to just bring you into the life of Leonard Bernstein from early days till his death. So this is illustrative. Yes. Yes. And here's the problem. Zach, they, the, the method that they tried to make you immersive into this film actually takes you out of the film because you look at this bloody nose, right? It takes you out of it. Let's compare it to Golda Meir, Helen Mirren, who plays uh, Golda Meir in the film Golda, out, also out at the moment. She's also not Jewish. And she wears a lot of prosthetics to play Golda Meir. But here, 
it doesn't take you out of the story. It's not about the nose, it's about her looks, it's about her face, they change her face and her cheeks and her forehead. And it does not matter that she was wearing the prosthetics. So here's somebody who's not Jewish playing a Jew and it doesn't matter. And, but for the Maestro film, it really does matter. The thing that's striking me here is, I think this seems to be quite a new thing that film actors wear a lot of prosthetics in order to look physically like the person they're meant to be depicting. And that, I mean, I may be wrong here, but it, it feels to me like formerly actors would have played a part and they might have tried to change the way they use their body. And they might have used a bit of makeup to try and look like the person, but they essentially would have said, I'm not this person, but I'm acting and we're all going to enter together into this imaginative space where we all imagine that this person is here through my portrayal, but at the same time we know I'm not really. So part of me is wondering where it's come from, this idea that you have to don a kind of mask almost in order to look like that person, in order for people to be absorbed. Is it because of the rise of special effects and CGI and so on, or is it that actually... A, a kind of a, a literal physical resemblance is somehow more important. I mean, I completely take your point about if all you're looking at is the nose, that's a complete distraction, and that actually he he could have evoked Bernstein probably with the way he moved and and looked and spoke in a less distracting way. So he may be regretting the whole nose decision, even <laughs> if even if Bernstein's children aren't. <laughs> they were very gracious, I thought. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, it, it happened before, you know. Remember Nicole Kidman in the hours? Well, I, that's what yeah. I was thinking, yeah. but there, and there wasn't really a fuss about that. Oh, there was. People, there was a lot of press talk about the nose because it again it changed the physical appearance of somebody, a very famous Hollywood star, to somebody who doesn't look like Nicole Kidman anymore. I yes, okay, so that's interesting because mm. what I meant by there wasn't a lot of fuss was nobody said that nose is a stereotype. They mm. just said. Why is Nicole Kidman wearing a false nose? She doesn't look like Nicole Kidman <laughs> yeah, anymore. Remember, we yes. came to see this film to watch Nicole Kidman, and that's not who we're seeing. <laughs> yes. I think that, the, the, firstly, the kind of uh, temperature around those kind of things was slightly less heated even then. With, but the argument, the argument at the time was, why is she uglying up, I think? Why, why do intellectuals have to be ugly? That was the, the yeah. contention at the time. So the ugly intellectual stereotype. Yes, exactly, yes. <laughs> why can't she be... I don't know. I don't know what the inverse of that mm. would be. But I think there is something to the fact that it, it seems to be a very quite vanity project of an actor to do the story. If, you know, we saw Bradley Cooper. He's produced it, he directs it, he wrote it. And, yes. You know, he's, mm -hmm. and you could really tell him, oh, I should wear a nose. And nobody said no to him. Yes. Yeah? I and think it fits into... There's definitely uh, that kind of arc of music biographies which started with... Uh, we will rock you. No, it's not called We Will Rock You, is it? The Freddie Mercury. Oh yeah. Freddie Mercury biopic. Oh, yes. What was that called? We will, we we will, will rock, rock you. you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, followed by the Elton John one, and then. Well, the Freddie Mercury one yes. is interesting because you know they 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 tried real Freddie Mercury teeth on Ken Ramalek, yes. yes. But real Freddie Mercury teeth were far too big for him, and he looked like a hamster or something. Yeah, so they had to scale them down. To scale but the teeth compare in. that to, yeah. for example, Elvis, where 
reactor, I don't think, Good made question. any physical alterations yes. and didn't look completely like Elvis, but nevertheless evoked Elvis wonderfully through what I, as an amateur, would call his performance yes. and his charisma mm -hmm. and the energy. He got the energy of Elvis without literally looking like Elvis, I which think I thought worked yeah. brilliantly. I think you are right. And I think this is the difference between the kind of film forms that the directors have chosen. So Baz Luhrmann is well known for rethinking the story and bringing it, bringing it to his own imagination. So he puts his own idea of who Elvis was into the whole film. So and if he sees Aaron Butler and thinks he plays the essence of Elvis, the meaning of Elvis, and that's far more Elvis than if they put a costume on him. So if you play the meaning of somebody rather than just wearing costumes or so, it becomes far more powerful and emotionally engaging. Look at the biography of uh, Bob Dylan, I'm Not There. I don't know if you've anybody seen it, but Bob Dylan is played by seven or eight different actors, including Kate Blanchett, a uh, little black kid, and several others. And it explores the meaning of Bob Dylan and it's become a really, really nice biography that doesn't just show you his life, which you could basically look up in a book or read on, uh, yeah, or watch YouTube videos of them. Um, so it becomes a whole, the film becomes a whole different artistic exploration about what Bob Dylan meant. And that's what they've not done with Maestro. They've just used these old images and brought them to life. So. It looks imaginative and pretty, but it is actually doesn't tell you anything outside the original meanings of the of the images that you consume. So, what does that tell us about where culture is just now? If we look at Bernstein and uh, the yeah the, the whole debate around that, I think it looks. It depends on how people are going to react to it. And I think if we just let people just talk about the nose and who can play Jews, yes. that's not the debate we should have. We should have the debates around, this is a film that doesn't work, not because it's Bradley Cooper playing a Jew. It doesn't work in its own artistic terms. And that's the lesson we should learn from this. Is it, though? I mean, I think, no, um, no, no, I think broadly, yes, of mm. course. Uh, but I also wonder that there is that uh, central problem that needs to be addressed head on almost. Like, is this anti-Semitic, right? Because a lot of people will say it is. So what, what, you know, how do we answer that? How would we, you know, because we're doing this live, we haven't worked out what our position <laughs> is quite, right? So, but how would we go around answering that question? Because uh, it needs to be addressed yes, one way or another. I think it, there is a problem with yeah. putting on a nose and in a yeah. way that, that... Even kind of sensitively men, you think? Yeah, the, yeah, it's it just looks as if it hasn't been thought through. Yeah. So it's a, it's a blunder, you think, rather than an intentional piece of anti-Semitism? No. Mean, no, one, no one's going to accuse Bradley Cooper no, of being anti-Semitic. No, but, but right? I, I think what I'm going to accuse them of is not thinking about what putting on a nose means. Right, right. Well, I think that's... How are we for time? <laughs> You've probably got about five minutes left, I reckon, if you I want see. to, Do you want to give take the audience questions? a chance to... Um, okay, cool. That works perfectly questions. then. So, okay. that, so that should we see if the audience <coughs> can answer the question of whether yeah, it's anti-Semitic? I'm, I'm sure they want to take us to task. Yeah, I'm sure they yeah, want no. to okay. kick our asses for a lot of fans who yes. just 
Okay, well, I'd see this too. Oh, we've got a microphone and everything. Look, okay, well, so you put your hand up first. So let's start with you. Uh, I would say it's not anti-Semitic because it's an actual person that you're trying to look like. So it's very... If, if it was you'd written a fic piece of fiction, so this is a great Jewish composer, and he has to have a great big hooked nose, <laughs> kind of like Fagin in Oliver Twist, where it's a fictional person, and this is a sort of big nose, and that's a problem. If it's like I want to look as much like Leonard Bernstein as I can, then anything should goes in being allowed to that. Um, and I, on the point about why, why now is this becoming a thing, I think it's we're, we're getting to the, the point where people know what Leonard Bernstein looks like. You wouldn't say, and you've seen him on film and so on, so you wouldn't say, you can't play Henry VIII without making yourself look like Henry VIII, because most people don't really know what he looks like outside of one picture. Um, they've never seen him on film, obviously, so there's no realism to break. Whereas um, if it's a person that you have seen on film, the, the difference is actually more apparent. And it's only now that we're getting old people that we've seen their whole lives on film <laughs> that we can actually pull that in. Okay, do you, want to, do you want to respond to that? Or do you want yeah. to take two or three points? Let's take a few right here. Yeah, let's take okay. Okay. We don't have much time. I want to get lots, yeah, lots yeah. of okay. questions. Go ahead. Okay. I don't know whether it's anti-Semitic, but um, I think in theory, if I thought about it, I didn't, wouldn't have thought it was. But when I saw it, it did kind of jar a little bit. It kind of took, you know, I thought that it didn't quite work with his face. I guess that's what you're saying. Um, and it was very, a very big note. Like, you couldn't not know. <laughs> <laughs> but, Cannot uh, unsee it. <laughs> But, um, but what I was thinking about is just kind of going back to what you were talking about before, about performance and about um, how we all kind of perform. In the culture, you know, there is that kind of reality of where we kind of perform our identities and everything. But there's also kind of a, a kind of push towards authenticity. Like, you, we have to be express our real selves and you know, not be this performance, you know. And so I imagine this is kind of a question for you, imagine that this also exists in film, and I guess within that kind of sense of having a Jewish nose on a non-Jewish face, you know, that you are doing this performance, but it doesn't seem authentic, I don't know. Maybe that's... Okay, interesting. That's it. Well, I hate to tell you, I actually knew Leonard Bernstein. I actually oh, worked with him because I am a singer, and I think, and I have seen the trailers of this, I've seen uh, Golda Meyer's film, uh, Mirren, Helen Mirren. I personally don't know the difference because to me, anti Semitic is about being anti Jewish. And I, as a Christian, I spent three years in Julia Neuberger's synagogue singing the High Holy Days and everything. Now, whether you should say that a non Christian person should be in the synagogue singing in the synagogue is another story. But with Leonard Bernstein, your average person only knows, I want to be in America, I'm, you know, all that thing. With, um, <laughs> And uh, his music is wonderful. I haven't seen the film because I don't think it's been released yet. No. But I have seen two trailers, different ones. And I can't honestly say that this is anti-Semitic in any shape or form because nobody is trying to be anti-Jewish. They, they banned this word around anti-Semitic as if it was Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> and his, and his Labour Party. Me. You know, some of his Labour Party. Um, Keir Starmer is married to a Jew. Is he going around, you know, doing anything to offend the Jews? So I don't know. I don't understand um, half of this that's going on, to be honest. I'm not into big films as such. But 
I do not find it anti-Semitic. You, you have the right to say it's in poor taste, but if you don't know the person in the first place and you're not into classical music and you don't know who he is, I think it would pay to actually go on YouTube and see what he did and how he did it, because to me it's a wonder, it's going, I hope it'll be a wonderful film. Before you pass the microphone on, can I just ask, as somebody who's actually met Leonard Bernstein, yes, did, it, did, it, did the on-screen bits that you saw in the trailers, did you feel that it captured him? Yes, yes. If you had somebody doing the film that just didn't look like him at all, I mean, I've just been to Falstaff Opera at Opera North in Leeds, and the, the portrayal is an obese, big, fat man that plays Falstaff. Bryn Terfel did it at Opera North, um, Royal Opera House when he sang it, and like I said, whoever said about Henry VIII, we have an image of what Henry VIII is. They are images. None of us were around when Falstaff was around, but Leonard Bernstein is not that long gone, and he's in our lifetime. If people want to go and have a look and see what he really looked like, then rely on a film and, then, and some debate in the, in the Guardian newspaper. You know. Okay, thank you. And there was a hand over there. Thanks. Um, just a quick one. Just because you know that the decision about the nose would not have been taken lightly. You know the amount of hours that would have been spent discussing whether Bradley Cooper should have the prosthetic nose or not. And so you kind of think, and also given the context of today when representation is debated so much, you kind of know that they must have landed on the decision that this was artistic representation, the realism, that was what was driving this, obviously. And so they would definitely have considered all of the points and thought this is nothing other than the, you know, the important thing is for us to be to, to make that physical representation. And so you kind of think, well, then, I, I, I don't know where I land on this either, particularly, but you just know that it, it would have been debated so, so long and so furiously, I'm sure. And so they think that, you know, that's it. Uh, we've, so we've got just a couple of minutes left, so mm -hmm. I think you two should perhaps sum up and end your podcast you do. I just wanted to throw in, uh, before you do, that uh, the last speaker and I actually studied film theatre at the same college many years ago, and we were not allowed to use the word realism until the last year of the course, because we were told it was too big a topic, we didn't know what it meant until we'd done the realism course <laughs> in, the last, uh, in the last year. So, Ed, so ever since then, every time somebody uses it, I get it, I just kind of retrospective, like, oh, but what do you mean exactly? So, uh, so it was nice to hear you it, like, lay out what realism meant. So anyway, with that, with that thought in mind, you've got about three minutes left, so if you'd like to tie up your podcast as you would normally tie may it up. First? You may go first. I think that's a very useful point and very interesting uh, because I think, no, no, but I think it illustrates something very real, which is that there's a chasm of difference, I think, between those kind of cultural gatekeepers who want to frame the discussions in a particular way, like whoever said it was the Hollywood reporter have this obsession with ethnic cosplay uh, that is their preoccupation that they're bringing to a lot of interpretation of these things. And, and Yes. In Yarbrough, the opera house, it's all about yes. um, doing Shakespeare on the stage. Yes. And the opera. They everything becomes politicised, exactly. So this is the. Somebody who can sing as well. You know, what's that? 
So this is what we're trying to we're kind of mm. cut against that, or go upstream a little bit on those kind of questions. Yeah. What would you like to add? Um, I think what I would like to add is I think that there's still a huge audience who loves realism. And I think this is why the film is the way it is. Because they thought, it's with a lot of biographies. It's made from and by the people who ever knew the person or were very close to him, like you know the, all the musicals we talked about. And they just become quite just illustrations of the life. And this is what people expect from biographies. The beautiful things about Elvis and so, they were not that. They were actual artistic interpretations of what their life meant, which these realistic films are, or these realism films are not. So you have to decide what you want to watch. And I think that Elvis won the Oscar this year, you know, as a, as a film that not portrays Elvis as he was, but what he meant. Which, which category did it win in? Best. Uh, Aaron ba uh, Butler won Best, best Actor. Best Performance, was it? Yeah, okay. Best Performance. Fine. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea, and, and there's, a, there's a huge audience, especially in, in sort of Anglo-America, who is fixed on realistic and realism and uh, interpretation of stories. So there is an audience for this, and I think this is what justifies the film's existence. But I think what we'll see is, as long as... So this is the tension, this is always going to be the tension, as yeah. long as the um, uh, genre exists and people approach it with the wrong set of uh, tools to kind of evaluate this thing, these discussions are gonna keep resurfacing and keep being headbanging. Um, so watch for more of them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why you all need to listen to and subscribe to Performance Anxiety Podcast. Thank you very much, Alex Tandra. Dell and Maren Tom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. For you. So uh, go forth. <laughs> go go forth. to more events. And download. <laughs> Take your stickers. <laughs> <laughs>